everyone. Welcome to Febrile, a culture podcast about all things infectious disease. I'm Sarah Dong, your host. I am excited to have our guest here today, Dr. Scott James. Uh, can you give everyone a little introduction? Hey, Sarah, thanks so much for having me. I'm, uh, yeah, just thrilled to be with you. So, my, yeah, my name is Scott James. I'm an associate professor of pediatric infectious diseases at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. I've been the fellowship program director here for a while. Um, I'm a basic and translational scientist, so I run a, a virology research lab and am also uh, involved in some clinical trials and things of that nature. Also very, very highly invested in fellow education and med ed in general, and particularly fostering the next generation of PEDS ID physician scientists and uh, workforce questions and things of that nature. And I'm in general an optimist in those areas, just as a heads up. I'm married. Uh, my wife, Jamie, and I have four kids. Uh, one is off to college and the other three are at home still. And uh, yeah, we, we live in Birmingham and have a just an incredibly happy life here. That's so great. Well, before we jump into the topics that you mentioned, I have to let everyone know this episode marks actually the third year anniversary of Febrile. So uh, the finale for season three spanning the year of 2023. And I always just want to start with some gratitude. So for those who perhaps work with some of the trainees or faculty who've been on the show, I encourage you to express your thanks. Everyone who participates in Febrile has really volunteered a lot of time and their passion for learning about ID. And I'm really lucky to meet everyone. Um, and then to uh, also thank everyone who supported not only Febrile as a resource and its mission, but me personally as a person. <laughs> uh, it's been kind of a hard transition year for me, and I appreciate everyone's patience as I try to keep Febrile growing. We really have picked up, um, even over this past year, we've, I think, gathered even more listeners. We've now had over 450,000 downloads, and these have been in all 50 states and over 190 country. So this is just really awesome news and we're hard at work on next year. Um, so similar to the last two sort of season finales, uh, Scott and I are going to provide some updates on the U.S. ID fellowship match similar to other seasons. And if you happen to miss it, Brad Cottrell joined the um, to chat about sort of the history and challenges of growing our ID workforce last year, but we were a bit focused on the adult side. Of course, as a MedPeds person, I feel like sometimes the pediatric ID conversation uh, isn't emphasized quite as much. So that's what I want us to do today. Uh, but before we dive in, we have to stay true to our cultured podcast name. And I have to ask the classic question, Scott, is there any culture that you'd like to share with us? I love this question because uh, <laughs> we are not defined only by our job. So I, 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 have, I enjoy getting some, some insight into the culture around us. Uh, my recommendation for your listeners would be um, a book that I read this past year that I absolutely loved. It's called Everything Sad is Untrue. It's by Daniel Nayari. Uh, it is a uh, a memoir of sorts of an Iranian refugee who came to America as a, as a young elementary aged boy. And it is just an amazing, an amazing story. Uh, incredibly heartfelt, hilarious. It is for sure one of those where you will, you will laugh, you will cry, you will have introspection. Uh, I, I loved it so much. I then 
immediately turned around and, and we chose it as a family read aloud. So we, we read books and novels and such out loud as a family because um, we're nerds. Um, and, <laughs> and we did it as our family read aloud after I had already read it. And my kids uh, all wholeheartedly agree that it is the best book they have read in recent memory. Oh, that sounds great. All right. Uh, so first, congrats and welcome to all of the new and incoming ID fellows. This is a quick update on a breakdown of the match results statistic. I'll just give a quick glimpse into the ID uh, match. So there were 189 certified programs on adult ID. They had about 50.8% of the programs that were filled. So that's 96 of the 189. There were overall 450 certified positions. So there were 303 matched applicants, which is 67.3% of those certified positions. Um, and Scott, can you tell us a little bit about the PEDS match? <laughs> um, so for pediatric infectious diseases, uh, appointment year 2024, there were 53 programs that certified and offered positions. We offered a total of 77 pediatric infectious diseases positions. 37 applicants matched uh, via NRMP into pediatric infectious diseases fellowship. So for position fill rate, that put us at 48%, um, which is about on par with where we have been for the past two to three years. Um, we were at 49% last year. If you look at from a program standpoint of the 53 programs that offered uh, positions, 20 of those programs filled for a, a program fill rate of 37%, um, 30 round up to 38%. Um, I do always offer a little caveat on that though. What we would consider to be an unfilled program often includes programs that have some flexibility in the number of uh, positions they offer. Uh, so there are a good number of programs that are, are perfectly content taking one fellow per year, but have the leeway to take up to two. And so we'll have two positions offered. And in the current atmosphere of uh, uh, what the pipeline is, if they um, only fill one of those two spots, most of those programs are perfectly happy. Like that's that's really uh, kind of what they're what they're going for. Um, and the fact that that second spot goes unfilled is not particularly a problem to that program. Uh, so there are quite a few programs that are in that sort of position. And so I, I always just like to give that little caveat that the, the kind of the, the programs that get categorized as quote unquote unfilled programs um, can be somewhat of a misleading term in that sense. It's it's a low fill rate no matter how you slice it. <laughs> Yeah. And just to emphasize, you know, I think we you mentioned that you're an optimist and I want the general vibe of this episode to be optimism. It's just to point out we have three over 300 new future ID docs on the adult side and almost 40 new pediatric ID physicians that are coming into our program. So we're super excited to have you. And, you know, I think there are a lot of reactions that happen after the match results come out. Uh, there's some, of course, official responses from IDSA and PIDS. And we talked a little bit about topics related to workforce and recruitment last year to give some of the historical context. And I think there are a lot of features that overlap in the conversation between adult versus pediatric ID, but I was hoping you could give the listeners an introduction to the landscape of our pediatric ID workforce and maybe other unique features that you think we should keep in mind for our PEDS ID colleagues. 
Yeah, so I absolutely would join you in welcoming 37 new Peds ID colleagues via the match. Uh, we would also emphasize for Peds ID, we are not an all-in match, meaning there are other pathways to come into a fellowship. Um, and we would look back just at a trend of data uh, and say that of those, uh, there's 37 who matched. When we look at July and people actually starting in July 2024, uh, if historical trends hold up, there'd be anywhere from 15 to 20 additional um, new colleagues that are going to be joining our forces as well. So people um, can come into PEDS ID fellowship after the match through through other means as well. So even more optimism. We have even more colleagues. to. I realize I'm one of those people. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I match on the adult side. <laughs> Yes, there's there's kind of multiple avenues. Uh, we did we did recently do a survey to try to kind of get a hold of our our uh, understanding of how people are coming into the match, and that might be something we can chat about. But as an overview for the general landscape of the Peds ID workforce, we're in a position where pediatric infectious diseases physicians are frankly in high demand, right? So the job market is actually pretty good. If you go to, uh, for instance, the Peds uh, Pediatric Infectious Diseases Society job board. There are lots of jobs listed, and those are just the ones that are listed. There's a heck of a lot of other jobs that are available, just sort of word of mouth. So whether it's academic institutions, uh, industry, regulatory process, uh, so CDC, FDA, uh, et cetera, I, I have friends and colleagues that are um, happily employed in a wide range of um, institutions uh, and, and universities, and and uh, the general atmosphere is that peds id uh, physicians are in demand and then there are jobs available so from one standpoint we can kind of look at this sort of conversation and say is this just sort of a market force issue like there are no jobs available and then therefore not many people are trying to go into peds id uh, and, and i would offer the kind of counter interpretation of that is that the market is there the jobs are there there's kind of a nuanced discussion that needs to be had about how valued the jobs are and how the jobs are compensated. That is a very um, uh, worthwhile conversation that we are having. But the jobs are there, and it is more of a pipeline issue. Um, I think the jobs are there, and they're actually going to become a little bit more uh, open, so to speak, because if you look at the PEDS ID workforce, on average, compared to the other pediatric subspecialties, PEDS ID survey out as being um, slightly older, so higher average age than the other pediatric subspecialties, and a greater proportion of us are greater than or equal to 60 years old. So of our workforce, we're slightly shifted towards the um, uh, more senior colleagues. And so I think if you just kind of forecast out for the next 20 years, um, there's going to be a slightly greater proportion of PEDS ID physicians that are moving into the next phase of career or uh, transitioning into retirement. And it's going to create, uh, I think, even more job opportunities, which means we really need to take serious about that. Who are we training up to uh, to fill those needed spaces? And and that's why a lot of our conversation has really uh, focused in on, on the pipeline and how to increase uh, interest in new trainees going into PEDS ID because another aspect of it that I think we can touch on is, is just sort of the disbursement of PEDS ID physicians across America. Um, 
Uh, and if we're just really thinking about uh, access to care and health disparities, Peds ID is one of the critical subspecialties that um, can can help uh, address a wide range of health needs for all kinds of diverse populations. And there we're in a position where uh, there are large chunks of the American population that do not have ready access to PEDS ID subspecialists and would have to travel a fair way. There's even a couple of states that have zero PEDS ID uh, physicians in the entire state. Um, so we tend to be clustered in large academic institutions, which makes sense based on our job description. Um, but that, that also does create barriers. So we need to be thinking about how uh, not only can we increase the number of people going into PEDS ID, but how can we get those uh, people serving in areas and in ways that can help benefit all uh, all avenues of our population. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about building the pipeline last year and some of the studies that have shown that early exposure to ID in curriculums or rotations and particularly mentorship really matters. And I didn't really get a ton of time for us to talk about the efforts that have been done on the pediatric side, ways that they can interact with ID and learn from ID, Pete's ID. Um, can you share some of those things that are either in process or in the works on how we can build pathways to careers in pediatric ID? Absolutely something we need to be actively thinking of. Uh, I, I encourage my colleagues and my friends to uh, every interaction they have with medical trainees to be always be recruiting, just be thinking about ways in which we can communicate how much we love our jobs, how valuable we find uh, our effort, uh, how the different ways that we feel like we help families and uh, just yeah, always be uh, communicating uh, PEDS ID as a fantastic career choice to early trainees uh, that we come across. So we do, there's not been a specific PEDS ID study in the way that there has been some adult ID studies where they do a kind of a cross-sectional survey of internal medicine residents, for instance, um, uh, to kind of find out what, what their motivation was for picking certain subspecialties. What the, the work that the adult ID side has done to me anecdotally rings true for the PEDS side as well. So we kind of piggyback on that and it really does emphasize early exposure, early experience, um, and then also uh, dynamic relationships and mentorships. Uh, so those two being kind of the key factors in, in what sparked an early interest in PEDS ID. Um, and so we can be thinking through how we're providing that for people. A lot of that can and should happen in sort of a grassroots way uh, in terms of just organic relationships and mentoring relationships and clinical experience and exposures. And um, I mean, that's that's my story. I, I didn't enter a program or anything like that. I just kind of early in my medical career had some global missions opportunities that sort of sparked an interest in infectious diseases topics. And then I found some mentors who were excited about what they did and kind of communicated that passion for what they did to me. And it, it really tracked. And so I, I kind of continue to press further into that direction. So I didn't uh, go through a, some kind of, you know, program that was geared towards recruiting me into Peds ID. It just happened naturally. And I think that's probably most of our stories. So I don't want to, even as we think through programs and initiatives and things of that nature that we can proactively push uh, and, and, and institute to, to try to generate some more interest among trainees. I honestly just want to make sure that we're all just being human beings and understanding that what motivates people is just a love for what we do and uh, our 
yeah, job satisfaction and, and things of, of that nature. So we just kind of find early trainees, undergraduates, med students, early residents, and connect with them and share your passion with them is, I think, far and away the most important uh, aspect when it comes to communicating what PEDS ID is and why we love what we do. Um, I do think that said, there's other things we can do. So um, we have mentioned, I think, I think you mentioned last year, the uh, PIDS, Pediatric Infectious Disease Society, has uh, an array of um, programs and just uh, initiatives to to try to put PEDS ID on the forefront of people who have not yet had that experience where it's kind of hooked to them. And so what can we do to kind of get PEDS ID in front of them and show them how amazing it is and show them the career opportunities that are here? One of them is the SUMMERS program, which is a summer research initiative uh, aimed more at sort of undergrads. Uh, and early trainees, and it's a funded, mentored research experience over summertime um, that they can then present at a conference and, you know, potentially parlay that into a fellowship research track and things of that nature. And so we've we've had some good initial success with finding uh, um, really good candidates who are inclined towards academic and research and PEDS ID world and uh, has some really good experience with that, including people that have then chosen to go into PEDS ID. Um, a newer one that we have recently initiated in PIDS is called MEET ID. So it's a really, I think, a pretty good acronym that Josh Watson came up with. Um, it's a good one. It's a good. It, it stands for MEET Engaged uh, Educational Trainee Focused ID program. And so the idea here basically is we've got three main PEDS ID conferences that we really invest in. One would be the PIDS St. Jude Pediatric Research uh, Conference happens every year and kind of early spring in at St. Jude in Memphis. The other would be kind of the PEDS ID presence that is at PAS every year. And then the third being ID Week, which is co-sponsored by PIDS. So uh, undergraduates, medical students, and residents can apply uh, to basically have a full expenses paid trip to one of these conferences. And then as a part of that stipend, there's this sort of mentoring team. So they're paired up with a faculty mentor as well as sort of near peer level mentors. So our fellows uh, actually sort of invest in that. And they, they kind of get like a, I don't know, like a guided cohort tour through the world of PEDS ID, academic life and research and clinical uh, education, medical education, things of that nature. So they really get to kind of go and experience the world of um, uh, PEDS ID research and medical education initiatives that that is on display at these excellent conferences. And so I think for for those of us that are a little further in our career, we all we go to these conferences and are continually energized by them. And so the idea is like, how can we bring younger trainees into that excitement and help them see like how amazing it is? So we've done one full year of funding through that. So we have sent cohorts to each of those three conferences. Um, our most recent one was ID week in Boston in October. And I spent a good amount of time with that cohort there and they were sharp like it was like really encouraging to to kind of interact with them and and see the the types of people who are kind of thinking about peds id as a career and i did my best to recruit them and and show them why i love it but it was so encouraging to spend time with them and to see uh, how they were thinking through uh, what their career can be like and how they can make an impact in this world yeah i think the other part of this conversation is thinking about 
roadblocks and how we can overcome them or remove barriers. And I'm not going to ignore the compensation gap debt relief component of this discussion. And I don't want to emphasize it, but I also don't think it's it's the right thing for us to skip past it because it is a, is a big part of this. And we talked last year about some of the IDSA efforts that had changed recently. And I just wondering if you have any things that you want to add or your thoughts on the, the compensation component of this conversation. We absolutely have to talk about it and we absolutely have to get positive movement in that part of the question. Like that is a very legitimate barrier uh, that we cannot ignore. Um, I still remember distinctly the look on my father's face when I told him I was going to do three additional years of training to then come out and make less than a general pediatrician. <laughs> and my engineer father was just like, what? Like that, that does not compute. Does so not compute? It, yeah. is, it is a very reasonable concern. Um, and yet it also, I, I, I look at that as well as a this is sort of proof positive that the right people are going into Pete's ID because we're we're going into it for the right reasons. We love it. We're, no one's going into it for not that anyone picks other subspecialties for ulterior motives, but you know it's it is in some ways uh, a we are a self selected crowd of people who are very very passionate about what we do. Compensation is a a very reasonable concern, um, and I think if you just look at uh, I don't know about. Uh, rigorous surveys, but at least anecdotally, I think the rigorous surveys show it as well, but at least anecdotally, as I talk with early trainees about, hey, have you considered PEDS ID? Far and away, the number one answer I get back for people who are not interested are, yeah, no, it doesn't pay enough. Um, and so it's, it is uh, the one of the main rubrics that early trainees are looking at when they're thinking about what their career is, because um, student debt is so much these days. Uh, it's, it's worse than it was even when I was in med school. Um, it's just the, the, the average amount of debt that people are coming out of med school with is, is increasingly shocking. Um, and then there's disparities within that. So if you look at, uh, uh ethnic, uh, identities through, throughout, uh, the debt numbers that come out, then it clearly shows that, um, those that would be considered an underrepresented in medicine categories come out with more debt on average. And so it's a very real roadblock to us recruiting the next generation of excellent, diverse PEDS-ID physician scientists. Okay. So how do we address it? Uh, it honestly feels like at the kind of one-to-one -one level or kind of at the grassroots level, it kind of feels hopeless uh, in the sense that I don't have the specific leverage to just sort of, you know, walk into my, you know, chairman or my uh, uh, dean of the school of medicine office and kind of have a negotiating tactic that's going to move the needle much. So I, I do think it needs to be at a much more a much larger level. So uh, pardon the bad pun, but it's kind of way above my pay grade. Um, and and so we just need to have some more kind of policy movements, reimbursement movements that that are when we're talking about CMS and Medicaid, Medicare and things of that nature that we're, we need to be um, uh, we need PEDS ID and some other subspecialties to be recognized and valued a little bit more for the work that we do. So uh, it's obvious kind of that we, since we are one of the more cognitive specialties and we do not have our own procedures and we don't honestly even have a heck of a lot that is only ours. Uh, we're we're uh, I think finding some avenues in which we can kind of stake some claim like in stewardship and uh, antibiotic resistance uh, management and, and stuff like that. So there are areas that only a PEDS ID doc can speak into it. But a large part of what we do is not 
specific to us and other physicians can and do prescribe antibiotics and diagnose and manage infections. And so we're undervalued when it comes to that. Um, so there's been really strong advocacy efforts. I know IDSA and PIDS are both on Capitol Hill regularly um, uh, talking about legislation that can help address that. There's been several um, different um, legislative uh, processes and uh uh, I guess bills that have been kind of proposed uh, that are seeking to address this and seeking to increase um, uh, reimbursement levels uh, for specialties such as our own. Um, and then I, th I think an aspect of this to talk on, there's a couple of things that give me a little bit of optimism here as well. I, I I've, this is unpublished data, uh, personal communication. So I don't have specific sources to cite, but I have heard examples of large academic institutions that are kind of banding together and recognizing this as an issue and are kind of forming, you know, pockets and coalitions where they're seeking to normalize uh, the undervalued subspecialties and normalize their salaries up to be equivalent with pediatric hospitalists at, at the minimum. Um, and so I'm hopeful that that's going to get some traction and that people are going to see that as um, a pretty clear uh, indication that a subspecialty like PEDS ID, even though my clinical revenue generating value is not so much, uh, our value to the ecosystem of the entire institution is really hard to count and yet should be recognized in some way. So for instance, I'm not generating as much revenue as my friends in the NICU are, but I do know that they can't have a top tier NICU unless they have strong PEDS ID support, right? Uh, or our institution is and wants to maintain its status as a U.S. News and World Report, you know, top institution. Well, they can't do that unless they have a strong antimicrobial stewardship program. And so there are aspects of PEDS ID care that add value to the entire ecosystem of our healthcare uh, institutions that are not, you know, on my line. They're not on my budget line. I don't, I don't have a line item on my percent effort that uh, specifically speaks to that, but that we are part of the, the overall process and adding value in ways that previously have not been counted. So there's been good forward momentum and actually counting up some of that effort and giving some credit to some previously ill-defined uh, value, such as stewardship. Um, uh, so I, I've, I've seen positive movement in that line, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that and hopeful that that is uh, kind of the beginning of uh, what will end up being much more positive movement. Um, we should also speak of loan repayment because I think um, I think that's an important aspect of this. So I, I can speak as a, uh, a former recipient and ambassador of the NIH loan repayment program and am incredibly grateful for that. So uh, uh, because I was uh, in a uh, sort of a basic and translational science uh, research pathway, I was able to kind of take what I was already doing. It's my K award uh, and, and submit it for an NIH loan repayment program uh, and got that funded and was able to renew that funding uh, all through uh, basically to the completion of my student loan repayment. So uh, it was a massive help to me and made uh, it made the barrier much, much lower for me to remain in academics and remain pursuing the in investigator pathway that I love um, without having to, you know, worry as much about the salary disparity that came with that. So I was able to kind of just happily, <laughs> happily con continue doing the science that I loved and, and uh, NIH, you know, help help me pay off my student loans. 
HRSA has, so that is always available. So I would encourage, I always encourage fellows to, to look into that. They're all doing scholarly pr- projects anyways, and most of them are at ag- academic institutions anyways. So it, it does, uh, it, there's a lot of parallel there. Um, HSRA, H, HRSA, HRSA recently came out with their, um, what did they call it? The pediatric subspecialty loan repayment program. I'm encouraged that they're thinking along those lines. I'm encouraged that they, actually implemented a program with a specific stated goal of uh, increasing the ability of pediatric subspecialists to go into their given field and and to succeed. It ended up, so there's my optimism. The realism is that it ended, ended up being a bit of a false start um, in that they initiated it, rolled it out. And uh, I'm honestly not entirely sure how how this happened in this way, but it what ended up happening is they ha- framed the eligibility criteria in such a way that a, essentially a, a pediatric subspecialty fellow is ineligible for it um, because of clinical requirements. Um, so they there was a miss there where they <clears throat> the the eligibility criteria did not line up with the target audience, um, and so I, th- I think there was a, a much more select group of people that was that were able to access that. So we're in conversation. A lot of partners are in conversation with them now to um, revise that for the for the next cycle to see if we can actually uh, get pediatric fellows, which is supposedly the intended audience, uh, get them actually eligible for the award. But it would be a great avenue as well because it's uh, up to a hundred thousand dollars in debt relief, which would make a big difference in someone's life if they're thinking about. Pete's idea is a career versus one of the other higher um, reimbursed subspecialties. Um, and I think something else that I feel like the conversation around is very interesting is the impact of duration of training. On the adult side, many people know that there are plenty of ID fellows who come through and do a two-year fellowship, or perhaps they elect for three-year uh, longer fellowships. And I think this conversation is sort of heating up on the pediatric side. And I would, I know you've been working a lot on that, the duration of training for pediatric ID fellowships. And I was hoping you could share a little bit about the debate, what you've learned so far and what you see being the future. This is a a question that we've been asking it for a little while now. So it didn't just pop up with kind of, you know, recent um, survey results and such, but it's a question that comes in. It's it's kind of a multi-layer kind of question because we would need to be upfront and admit openly to begin with that part of the reason to ask the question is because of pipeline issues and because of compensation issues and um, lifetime earning deficit things. So it, it would be one of the factors that could come in and reduce the barrier for a pediatric resident choosing PEDS ID. Um, shorter training duration, uh, which means they therefore get to their earning potential a little bit faster. So their lifetime um, earning deficit is going to be slightly reduced, not massively, but, but slightly. And so would that be enough to move the needle to get a few more people to consider PEDS ID? Now, as a fellowship program director, we also have to say that is a practical reality and, and it is a, a potential benefit that we could achieve through this question of duration. But the primary point of the fellowship training program is to train excellent clinician scientists for PEDS ID futures. And so if it moves the needle and gets more people interested in PEDS ID, but then therefore uh, is a substandard 
training experience, then it's a net negative. I don't want to do that. I don't want to get more people into PEDS ID just to give them an inferior uh, training experience and then put, you know, less than optimally trained PEDS ID physicians into the, into the world. So it's one where we have to be very, very confident that uh, it is the right thing to do educationally and as far as career development and uh, setting candidates up for uh, successful and well-trained careers. So it has to make sense clinically. Uh, otherwise, it's not worth asking in the other areas as well. So if that makes sense. So it's, it's, we're not only asking this question to try to get more people in. Uh, the question actually originally began uh, to be discussed when it became more and more common for PEDS ID fellows to choose career pathways that were not specifically science pathways in the sense laboratory training, clinical trials training, uh, those sort of investigator pathways, which do take, frankly, more than three years of a fellowship. You, you, you do a three-year fellowship, you're, you still need to go on and do some career development stuff before you can have an independent you know, uh, investigator pathway. Um, so three years is not enough to do even the you know, more hardcore uh, bench research and things of that nature. But there were definitely a lot of people who were look, saying, look, I'm, I'm incredibly interested in stewardship or infection prevention, or uh, I, I would like to uh, do public health or epidemiology, just different aspects. QI, as, as QI and outcomes research began to grow and grow in, in sort of uh, rigor, um, those became very viable pathways that a lot of PEDS ID fellows became interested in. And then a kind of a practical, tangible question was um, for for some of those, I think they can all benefit from three years, but for some of them, it didn't seem apparent that three years, meaning within that three years, two solid years of scholarly activity, it didn't seem completely apparent that the two full years dedicated to research training was needed uh, to be adequately prepared to run a stewardship program or contribute to a stewardship program or infection prevention, etc. Um, and so it kind of just became as the landscape of peds id careers evolved and shifted and kind of went into some some areas uh that are incredibly valuable and incredibly rigorous areas uh including stewardship med ed uh just you I can name a bunch it became kind of a question should training evolve with it to create a pathway through which they can go through a two-year training program and be Full clinical competency because they still got the 12, uh, 12 months of uh, clinical uh, training uh, and still some scholarly act activity, some uh, 12 months of scholarly component that's going to be academic and research training, but not requiring the full three years um, of all of that. So th that's where the question kind of originated is the job landscape, the type of jobs that PEDS ID physicians are doing has evolved a bit and should training evolve a little bit to be with it so that we're not unnecessarily having a long uh, you know, longer than needed training duration. So I think a lot of people were thinking through it in the sense of having a two-year track versus a three-year track, because there are plenty of us that still would need the full three years to set us up for research careers. Um, so the other avenue that we were having to think through it with was if it's a two-year track versus a three-year track, the parallel was made pretty easily, pretty readily to the adult ID side, which is a minimum two years. Some do additional three or four years of training for research, but it's at minimum a two-year track. And that's 
worked well for years. And so the logical question is, well, the, the proof is already there. Why can't Pete's ID do the same thing? The slight difference being in the adult ID world, you could do a two-year track, which has a clinical focus, and then come out and you have a plethora of um, purely or majority level clinical jobs. Whereas on the Peds ID side, there are uh, much less job opportunities out there that are predominantly or majority clinical work. And so a, a pediatric ID job is most often clinical paired with other components, be it stewardship, infection prevention, education, research, et cetera. Um, and so the, 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 the peds ID person coming out and just getting kind of like a peds ID hospitalist job is slightly less than, uh, than on the adult side. So that's kind of where that parallel breaks down a little bit is the job market is a bit different on the peds ID side, um, for that. But still, there are plenty of job pathways that I think could reasonably have just this two-year training track and then be perfectly ready and suited to enter into a lifetime learning situation where they continue to grow in, in their particular field. So I think it's a good question worth asking. It's, it's often put together as kind of a piece of the puzzle when it comes to that compensation issue and the, how to increase the pipeline. Um, so compensation itself being a main one, uh, loan repayment being a big one, and then uh, shortening the duration of the training period so that that lifetime earning uh, deficit is reduced a little bit. So it's kind of like it in and of itself, I don't think is going to be the be all end all of solving the PEDS ID pipeline issue, but it could be a piece of the puzzle. And so therefore it's worth asking the question. Um, so I, I, so if you want me to, I, I can go into, uh, I, I'm happily a part of the fellowship training task force, which is specifically looking at this question for PIDs. Um, that's been really fruitful conversations so far. Uh, our first main thing that I think probably uh, in many of your PIDs ID listeners are at least aware of is that we did kind of an initial survey of the PIDs ID society to kind of get just a kind of straw poll at the beginning of how are we feeling about this? Because if there's not broad consensus for this, then it's a non-starter. Um, and so we kind of asked that question, would you be okay with considering a two versus three year uh, fellowship program option? And uh, we sent it out to kind of all of PIDs. So it was a, you know, a thousand something people that we sent it to. I don't remember the exact denominator, but it was one of the more highly engaged surveys that PIDs has done in a while. Uh, we had 470 responses. And of those, 71% said, yes, we should consider a two-year training duration. 29% said, no, we should not consider a two-year training duration. And then the way we kind of phrase our interpretation of it, because we gave them an opportunity to comment as well. And boy, did they comment. There were so many comments, um, all very good and constructive. Um, so the way that we ended up phrasing it was 71% said, yes, but dot, 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 and then gave lots of caveats. And then the 29% said, no, but dot, 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 and then gave lots of, you know, nuanced reasoning. So it, it was not very, it was certainly not a clear cut. 71% were like gung ho. Yes. Everyone, uh, including myself, I, I answered yes, but I have a lot of concerns. I have a lot of, I have a checklist of things we would need to make sure that we ensure in order for that to make sense educationally, as far as competency-based training and such. So it's a complicated question, but it's definitely one worth asking. So I'm in conversation with other subspecialties and the ABP uh, to kind of think through this wisely. We're not, we're not trying to rush into anything, but it's a piece of the puzzle that we want to make sure we give due diligence. Yeah. 
Um, and you know, before we wrap up, I, we've kind of talked about a couple of specific things, but I'll, I'll sort of open it up and see if there's anything else that you want to touch on or make sure that we mention. Uh, two things. Uh, I want to also make sure that we are emphasizing the physician scientist pathway. So even in conversation about two-year training programs and that sort of thing, uh, the main concern is, oh, we're, we're going to blunt the pipeline of um, of investigator pathways. Uh, so we're going to reduce the number of PEDS ID researchers. And so I, as a PEDS ID researcher, I want to be really careful that we do not do that. I do not want that to be an unintended consequence. So we need to be actively thinking about how we can be um, not just raising up the next generation of PEDS ID colleagues, but specifically raising up the next generation of PEDS ID physician scientists who are going to be doing rigorous bench translational clinical outcomes, you know, the, the whole T scale for that translational medicine research, uh, people that are going to be actively engaged in, in that scholarly pursuit, because that has always been one of the defining features of who we are as a subspecialty. PEDS ID has always been at the forefront, uh, when it comes to, uh, grant research, uh, grant funding and research and, uh, so many of our divisions are just have such a heavy footprint in that. And I, I think that's a good thing to celebrate and to try to continue to raise up um, new trainees who are in that. So we want to, you know, working with the society, working with the Society for Pediatric Research um, and uh, PIDS is really, really proactive in and trying to fund really, really good uh, scientific projects with our early trainees and fellowship awards and, and such. So I, I want to make sure we have that on the forefront and we don't in any way leave that piece of the puzzle uh, behind. We, we need to continue to fund that and uh, find ways to foster that. And then I think the other aspect that I would say is um, looking for creative ways to bring people into the field. And so at UAB in particular, we're really, really, really proactive about the dual subspecialty training pathways um, and the combined. So MedPeds uh, or the dual subspecialties within PEDS. So I personally think that is a fantastic way uh, to bring people into PEDS ID who uh, when push comes to shove, uh, a trainee may pick a different subspecialty or, or may pick medicine over peds or something like that. Um, but if there truly is a, an interest and a desire and an aptitude for pediatric ID, I think peds ID is a, is a training program that actually pairs quite nicely with a number of other subspecialties. And as a program director, it's a little bit more work, but it's completely worth it to find a great candidate who is dead set on NICU or dead set on pick you or something like that. And, and then have some conversations about how uh, being dual board subspecialized uh, could, could be a real boon to their career. And so we've, we've, we've got a track record here and I know I'm not the only one, a lot of uh, other programs throughout the nation have um, kind of picked up on that and, and done some of that. And, and we kind of have this, you know, burgeoning, small niche, uh, sub sub specialized workforce that's kind of em emerging where you've got the, the, the critical care doctor who also runs stewardship for the, for the ICU because he's dual, uh, PEDS ID board certified, um, we, we, uh, a lot of pro programs, you being a testament to it, uh, have fantastic combinations, uh, with the adult ID side. And so the, the combined adult ID, PEDS ID track, uh, track is a, um, I think a really fruitful thing that we love doing here. And I know a lot of places do. So yeah, just, we got to be creative. We got to be, um, 
thinking about how we can accommodate excellent candidates. And so, again, it kind of goes back to the grassroots thing we started with. I can talk about policies, procedures, and, and you know initiatives all day long, but kind of when it comes down to it, am I connecting with early trainees, finding people who have a, you know, a, a seed of interest in PEDS ID? Am I kind of watering that and helping them thrive? Um, and then am I willing to, um, uh, have training programs that can accommodate them and sort of meet them where they are and help equip them for the PEDS ID future that they want, not the one that I envision people should have. So am I willing to tailor my training program to help people thrive and go in the direction that they want to go in in their career? Yes. Um, well, I am so grateful. Thank you for answering all these questions, sharing a little bit about your experience. I guess we should just end by always be recruiting. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> All right. Thank you. So I encourage everyone to take some time out of your day today and share with someone or a trainee about how much you love ID, whether that's adult or pediatric. Uh, my goal is for us to talk about some of these efforts and emphasize that personal connection that Scott was discussing and really trying to avoid uh, being overly negative because I agree with a lot of the voices that encourage people to think about how this can become a self-fulfilling prophecy if we're spending all of our time talking about how the ID field is not going to be able to recover. And there's a lot of other things that we can focus our time on. Thanks again to Scott for joining Febrile today. Don't forget to check out the website, febrilepodcast.com, where you'll find our consult notes, which are written supplements of the show with links to references, our library of ID infographics, and a link to our merch store. I have updated our consult notes now for the year of 2023, so you should be able to find those. Um, we're still working on getting infographics for all the episodes. Please reach out if you have any suggestions for future shows or you want to be more involved with Febrile. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you in 2024.